0: Fake, fake, fakety-fake. I'm Jody.
1: I'm Caitlin. Welcome to Imperial News, where I spend my whole week listening to the far-right podcast Rebel News, then talk about people getting excited by pretend prestige with my friend Caitlin. Mm, How are that's you? That's
2: not as terrible of an introduction as <laughs> it usually is. <laughs> I'm good. How are you? I'm
1: pretty good. I think uh, next episode's introduction's <laughs> going to be worse, so oh, well, that's fun good. Fun
2: stuff.
1: Uh, we did get delayed this week. Because uh, someone was ill, I'm not going to name names on this podcast.
2: <laughs> well, if it's not you, then it's me.
1: Well, I didn't even say if it was me or not, so uh, now we know.
2: Cat's no, out of the No, kind of <laughs> you pointed
1: it. But uh, <laughs> we hope to get back on schedule on Monday, so we'll go with that. But I would like to again remind people that if we get $60 a month on Patreon... All of our upfront costs will be covered, and that would be super awesome. So, if you have a few extra bucks and you're feeling super generous, please consider donating to this podcast. It is a lot of fun, but also a lot of work, so every little bit helps. Thank you. That's Patreon.com/slash Imperial News. I should put that in there, or else no one will know where to go. And now the Imperial Roundup. I got. I want to just like mix it up every time. <laughs>
0: Hello, my Rebels. Hello, my Rebels. I'm a good boy. I'm a weirdo.
1: We begin with January 20th, and Ezra is back home. He went to Copenhagen, where we already covered uh, in our last episode. Uh, He went there because Tommy Robinson was winning an award from the International Free Press Society. And Ezra wanted to be there to, I don't know, film it and brag about knowing Tommy Robinson, I guess, is what he does. We also covered that Ezra is a board member of the society, but he doesn't disclose this. And he's also someone who's won the award the same award that Tommy's winning. However, Ezra is very clear to make you know that he's won this award. This super, super duper prestigious award. He also hypes up this award. (laughs) So not only is it prestigious, but it's celebrated and it was held in the Danish parliament. But the thing is, most of the members of this society are only known for being... Uh, huge Islamophobes.
2: Mm, nice.
1: And we kind of like briefly sort of like motioned at that last episode, but I thought I'd go a few uh, like through a few more in a bit more details. So for reminders, Daniel Pipes is on this list uh, on the board, and we mentioned him a few episodes ago. Uh he is a part of a bunch of think tanks that uh are very Islamophobic in and it was like too Islamophobic, even for Christopher Hitchens, who wrote a couple of papers being like, "He's crazy,
2: uh, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> Robert Spencer, who's the founder of jihad Watch, he's on it, and for reference, Spencer was cited over sixty four times in the Anders Brevik manifesto. Brevik is the person who went on the rampage in Norway uh, and uh, wanted to basically create a Christian state in. Uh, Norway. So, you know, when you're being quoted by a terrorist...
2: I mean, there's just some really stand-up people (laughs) that are attending this award. (laughs) It sounds like an honor.
1: Uh, Mark Stein, who we're going to cover in our Shakedown series, he wrote a book called America Alone, which is basically an argument for white genocide, except that's being directed by Muslims, not the Jews. Frank Gaffney is on it. He is an anti-Muslim conspiracy theorist. So, for example, he argued in court that this fictional book, written by a member of the Muslim Brotherhood, was actually a real document and was evidence that there is some sort of secret plot by Muslims uh, to take over the world. And uh, this is basically like the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, except that the enemy is the Muslims and not the Jews, so... Another great human being. (laughs) Anyways, I could go on, but uh, that would likely take the whole show because each one of these characters is pretty, pretty terrible.
2: I'm sure we will come across them in later episodes anyways, because they all kind of just... They all
1: show up. They
2: all kind of just um, revolve around each other, like their own planetary system. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And for us, Ezra's at the center. So as to whether... (laughs) (laughs) sorry. He's our son.
2: <laughs> oh, gross. <laughs>
1: <laughs> As to whether this award really is prestigious, though, I did interview a friend of mine named Ras. Uh, he is from Denmark. And I will play that interview, but at the end of this segment, I just wanted to flag there that uh, if we're gonna have that. He's gonna address it. So I, I wanted to get because it's hard to like tell whether something is prestigious. In this sense, the way I thought about it is like. Say if there's like a really prestigious philosophy award, but you would never know it unless you were a philosophy and you cared about it. So yeah. I was like curious, like just your average everyday Danish person, <laughs> whether or not they even know about this award or that it holds any prestige to them. So I interviewed Ras, and that'll be uh later in the, the show. So now for the episode itself, Ezra begins by spending a few minutes discussing tommy Rod- robinson's prison conditions and how the uk press covered it apparently the daily mail which i don't really consider that great a uh newspaper anyways they said that tommy was living in luxury and ezra is upset about this and says that tommy had to use his own money to buy food while being in solitary confinement hmm. now we're for prison reform at least mm-hmm. i am yeah okay uh, But somehow I think they only want prison reform for the prisoners they like, like Tommy Robinson. And it's also rich coming from the people that think that abject poverty isn't a problem because homeless people in L.A. have cell phones. (laughs) So really, I don't care about Tommy Robinson or the fact that he had to, poor Tommy had to order his own food in prison. Ezra then wants to talk about media generally because he's mad that no one adequately covered this very prestigious award
0: but not a single mainstream media report about tommy winning the world's most prestigious free speech prize not one it's weird because russia today which is owned by the kremlin they actually sent a camera to the event to a free speech event russia and they filmed tommy and they filmed the event and they filmed the protesters outside now they didn't actually say a word in their video no commentary at all no spin they just turned on their camera and recorded the sounds of what they saw, both sides, Tommy and his critics. I'm sorry, but how weird is it that a state broadcaster from an authoritarian regime like Russia covers a free speech award fairly? They just turned their camera on and showed what was happening. But no mainstream media from the West did the same. Don't tell me they didn't know about it. They all follow Tommy's every step. They certainly follow my tweets, so they would have heard about it. Don't tell me it wasn't a visually interesting or newsworthy event. I can assure you it was. In the Danish parliament, protesters outside, it was a news event. The mainstream media just didn't want to tell the other side of the story, that their own hatred for Tommy Robinson is not shared uniformly, that in fact in Denmark, he had a hero's welcome in the parliament. Here's the Danish MP, Marie Krarup. Who had a short introductory comment? She was glad to host Tommy and the Free Press Society.
1: I just want to pause there and ask you why might Russia want to cover this event?
2: Because it's on free speech.
1: Well, I mean, Russia's authoritarian.
2: Yeah, but it's free speech that's right winged.
1: I think there's an element of that. My my leaning was more that Russia itself is xenophobic towards Muslim people. Yeah. Uh, They had the war in Chechnya. And that conflict is ongoing. So it's not like they don't have their own problems with Islam. So of course they would cover an event that's hosted by a gaggle of Islamophobes.
2: Yeah. But that was my point. It's a right-wing free speech award.
1: Right. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. I mean the other half of it is it is it really about free speech? It's like,
2: no, let me be a no, bigot
1: no, and then yeah.
3: Never is.
2: Well, the people that champion around free speech don't actually give a shit about free speech. They just want to be able to say whatever racist, xenophobic, sexist, transphobic comments that they can think of Yeah. for, you know, honestly, sometimes I think it's actually for no reason. Sometimes I think it's to like provoke people to get a rise. Other times it is because they're fucking awful human beings. Yeah. Um, And they want
1: to be able to say bigoted things without the consequences. That's what
2: I was just about to say. Yeah. They want to say it and they, want to not get their their uh, wrist slapped for saying yeah. something really horrible <laughs> which to me is just ridiculous because it's like an everyday conversation like take the political aspects out of it but if I insulted you like I just came up to you and said I don't know you're a fucking loser I hate you or something like that like the fact like harsh no I know I'm just yeah I'm just trying to think of something that might be insulting I don't know that's actually I don't actually mean that but um <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> get out of here. Um, but if I came up and said something like that, like, am I, ex- like, are you supposed to say, like, oh, okay, freedom of speech? Yeah. 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 Which I mean, like, you could say that, like, sarcastically, right? You're like, you're entitled to your opinion. But, like, the fact that you think no one's gonna, like, react to you saying something insulting is just ridiculous to me. Like, you're gonna get punched in the face <laughs> one day for saying stuff yeah, like yeah. that, right? So.
1: Uh, But anyways, to move on with this clip, Ezra ends by talking about this MP named Marie Krarup, who gave Tommy this hero's welcome at the Danish parliament. Now, one thing that Ezra doesn't mention in this whole episode is that Marie is a member of the Danish People's Party, which the name is very reminiscent of the People's Party of Canada. Mm. Although in my discussion with Raz uh, later on, the Danish People Party, although like when you look at their stuff, they are very reminiscent of the People's Party of Canada. But in the da- Danish context, they're not as far right as some other parties that exist. there. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's kind of terrifying, but we'll get to that part in a second. But the point is, so she's a member of this thing uh, and they currently hold 16 of the 179 seats of the Danish Parliament which is actually their worst showing since the nineties. They had their biggest showing in 2015 where they uh, actually kind of won the the election, but then through like deals, they didn't form government. I think the one of the other conservative parties formed government, but the point being is they were a pretty popular party, but they're starting to dwindle now for various reasons. Hmm. The point of all this is to highlight that a member of a parliament for a fascistic-ish party is exactly who you would expect to give Tommy Robinson a a, uh, reception uh, at parliament for this award. But just for the sake of completion, Marie herself is a very special kind of bigot in that she is a really huge fucking bigot. And to prove this, I'm going to read kind of a long excerpt, but it's really bad. And so the context of this is in 2013, she visited New Zealand in some capacity, having to do with uh, defense spending and the relationship between New Zealand and Denmark. So here it is. Here I come to the less civilized element of the Defense Committee's visit. When we arrived at a naval base, we were not received with the handshakes of uniformed men as usual. No. We were greeted with Maori dance ritual, with a half-naked man in a blast skirt yelling and screaming in Maori. He performed strange rituals and stretched his tongue while we watched and was instructed by a local that we should not laugh and that after his wedding concert we should go into the Maori temple where the naval officers were waiting for us. But they still weren't allowed to give us a hand. We were going through a long ritual that took place in Maori where the lovely white-clad and European-looking naval officers spoke in broken Maori and sang a song that sounded like Marie Hen Forever. It must be some sort of Dana song. In Maori, complete with educator guitar accompaniment, I tried to catch the glances of the naval officers during the ritual, but they looked down. After the ritual, we were finally allowed to greet the officers, but with nose rubbing, not handshakes. I have to say that you feel like an idiot when you're forced to rub next with 10 european looking naval officers great was my gratitude to the one guy who gave me a peck on the cheek instead of a nose pressure after the ritual we could switch to english and start a civilized visit together however we just saw the maori temple which was adorned with godly figures with angry faces and large erect penises It is a mystery to me that the poor sea officers could endure both the ceremony and the surroundings. The temple is one of several and even more are planned to receive official guests for defense installations in New Zealand. It is part of programs aimed at cultural awareness. You might also call it cultural self-annihilation or grotesque multicultic worship, but it clearly had its effect on the New Zealand naval officers. Later in the visit, I was informed by a concerned conservative politician that between 50,000 and 80,000 New Zealanders leave the country each year, but the population does not decrease. The emigrants, most of European descent, are replaced by Asian immigrants. It's not long before we're a brown population, he said. The color may be the same, but how the culture will be in New Zealand of the future... Hardly as it has been for the past 200 years, at least it doesn't seem like New Zealand has the will to put their own culture through. Valdemir Roardham wrote, as you know, that a people can never perish who do not want it themselves. It doesn't seem like New Zealand is a people that will exist, neither defense nor cultural. Never let Darren Denmark get there. This was a blog post that she wrote. It's still up. You can go read it. It's pretty gross.
2: Yeah, it's very ethnocentric
1: very ethnocentric
2: that's like the best way to explain it is like this idea of east or european practices being more civilized i actually learned something very interesting this week so this week with my students i'm talking about um like colonialism and race as well as like i'm trying to teach them that colonialism was like this modernist project and it was about spreading capitalism um, which blew their minds, which is, which was awesome. But in one of the readings, which I've never read before, they are talking about the word barbaric and where it came from. And uh, I can't remember exactly what civilization, but Greeks traveled outside of Greece. Right. And then uh, came in contact with this one civilization. And they, when they spoke, it sounded like they were going bar, 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 bar. <laughs> and they were like, they're speaking barbaric. And that's where that term came from. It came from because that's what the sound of the language to Greek people sounded like. Weird. It's just... Well, it's just
1: weird also how, like, that word has, like, traveled.
2: Yeah, well, they use it to describe, like, that group of people, which I think is some, like, African culture. I'm not sure. And it just stuck. Like, these are the barbaric people. But now it's got such negative connotation but it doesn't mean shit. Yeah. Like, it actually has no meaning behind it other than, like, this Well, is, I mean, it gained a cultural meaning. It gained, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's, like, when you you dissect the history behind that word, it's, like, it's doesn't have a meaning. Like, it's crazy to think that. So
1: now, uh, she has done and said uh, more shit like this so i don't need to give any more examples i think that one is sufficient to all on its own uh, but uh, you can see the common thread of anti-muslim immigration that fits in line with the shit we hear from ezra and tommy so there really isn't anything surprising that she would be the one hosting them at this uh, event there's also again the weird nod towards a kind of white genocide position that somehow uh, white new zealanders are leaving in these asian uh, people are coming in and replacing them. But here's one thing else that I wanted to highlight. There was this one quote that she gives by a poet named Valdemar Rordam and it was quoted as saying that a people can never perish who do not want it themselves. And So I was just curious who is this uh, figure. So Vlad- Valdemar Rordam is a national Nash- Danish nationalists, basically, Mm, in the 20s and the 30s. I think one of the famous ones was like, uh, Thousand Years of Denmark, right? These, our country is great, kind of like poetry. Mm. Now, in 1941, he wrote a poem called, Then Came the Day That We Have Long Awaited. Do you know what happened in 1941? In Denmark.
2: No, not at all. I don't know much about the country.
1: The Nazis occupied Denmark. Oh. And in this poem, he basically praises Hitler. Now, the interesting thing about this character is that, and here's like a lot of uh, Danish uh, scholars and stuff have like gone back and forth on this the extent to which he actually sympathized with Hitler or, or whatnot. I will say he definitely has uh, Nazi sympathies. I mean, it's pretty clear. I think one of the lines in the poem is basically that uh, Hitler's Germany heart beats along with uh, oh, Denmark or something like that. Yeah. But I mean, he basically became a pariah in Danish society after writing this poem even amongst the nationalists who were his allies because yeah, you're, you're being occupied by yeah. right? Even though, again, it's this like tension because a lot of them might sympathize with a lot of the fascistic tendencies of German. It's just like, now you're this outside force occupying yeah. our country, right? So he's just this weird figure, but it, it seems weird to me, <laughs> or not weird. I mean, clearly she is someone that would quote a person like this. Right? But it's like, it's a bit icky that she would pick a poet that, uh, was at least sympathetic to the Nazis.
2: Am I? Yeah. <laughs> uh.
1: And again, this is a common theme on this podcast, which is that Ezra, in spite of the fact that he is Jewish, continues to whitewash and defend Nazis and Nazi sympathizers and the Nazi adjacent in some capacity. So, uh. That's the only reason I felt like bringing it up, but it just felt weird. I was like, who is this person that she's quoting? And that was a neat tidbit that I dragged up. Hmm. And so we will now move into my interview with Ross. I normally would put the interview at the end, but we're going to put it right in here. And so we're going to take a brief pause and then transfer ourselves into the future. What's <laughs> <laughs> oh a good time travel though is...
0: I
2: don't think it's time travel. I don't know what but I don't think it's time travel. That's better. Yeah. This is like, I don't know, like a creature. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's a Nazi move.
2: Hi,
1: so I'm here with my friend Ras, and I reach out to Ras because he happens to live in Denmark. Which is where the recent Free Press Society gathered to give Tommy Robinson an award. So, hello, Ross, or Ras. Hello, Does... Ras.
3: <laughs> I, yeah. I have, I have no idea either. It's, uh, I've, I've heard every variation of it: Ras, Ross. I've even heard Rose. Ross Ross. <laughs> I, I, I think the equivalent is. but uh, like uh, that's. Uh, I, I, I don't know. It's it's fine. I, I appreciate all the versions. They're all equal. Well, I'll try
1: to at least be consistent throughout the rest of this interview. <laughs> I wanted to ask you as just a, a an average Danish person, uh, because Ezra has been talking on a show about how this award at the Free Press Society is a prestigious award, suggesting that because it was held at the Danish parliament, that that somehow means something. I, I don't know quite what, but he thinks it means something. And I'm curious for you, at least in the Danish context, is this award recognized, celebrated or considered prestigious by the general public in Denmark? And how has the media been covering this if they've been covering it at all?
3: Well, to be clear um, here, uh, this is to start off with, it's not a it's not a very special thing to um for meetings to be arranged in Danish parliament. I think it's one of the most open parliaments um, in the world. It's literally used by um, by every everyone that's not a literal Nazi organization. We even have some far-right meetings in there, so they're actually also allowed. Um, so that's not really a... A, a, a proof that it's uh, a very prestigious thing to uh, be in there on the end of, um, that this re- reward, was it wasn't the Sa- I think it was the Sappho prize. He won. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, they, they gave out a Sappho prize and then another one. I don't remember the name of, and I don't remember the name of it because we literally don't hear this organization <laughs> other than from the far right members of, you know, the Danish people's party. And I think, uh, yeah, yeah. The, the Danish people's party is the most relevant one. Um, because the organization was founded by uh, MPs from said party uh, in 2004, the year before um, the infamous Mohammed drawings were uh, were released. Um, so, yeah, I'd assume that Esra knows about Fink's. Uh, it's very relevant, relevant because he has friends from the Danish People's Party. Uh, I don't really... Like as an average Danish person, I only ever hear about the organization in reference to the Mohammed drawings because, you know, that was, to be fair, that was a big, you know, cultural moment in Danish side guys the last 20 or so years.
1: Yeah. For context for you, Ezra actually sits on the board of advisors for the Free Press Society, at least their international part of it. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. And he also won the award because he published the Danish cartoons in Canada after they were published in Denmark. And uh, he, he, it became a big thing here. So this is, I guess, Ezra has a, a connection with this, I guess.
3: Yeah. I've, well, again, I didn't know that Ezra Levant uh, won that award. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um,
3: we, like, uh, the last few times uh, the organization has been mentioned, um, I, again in 2005 uh, with the release of the Muhammad drawings, because... Again, that was talked a lot in the media, and it still is because that was a big like uh, Denmark was talked about more than it usually is. Uh, that's pretty common for such a small country, I guess. And um, you know, the we also hear frequently about some of the some of the, some of its uh, founders, uh, Las Hilgo. Uh, La, I don't know how you, uh, Las Hilgo, who's the um, he was a big promoter of it. He's a he's a, basically a Danish historian. Uh, uh who's um like he has some very very weird connections um to various you know the jewish defense league um internationally he converted to judaism in like the 60s or 70s he's he's really old Uh, like i think he's also in his 70s or 80s um so uh, but we still we still hear about him on occasion because i think it was five years again 2013 that's seven years ago um he um he he was attacked by a by a by a Lebanese Danish uh, citizen um, who yeah who yeah he 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 was attacked by him and then we heard yeah. about the organization through that but we never actually hear about the organization without uh, some of its founders being involved. Uh, if, <laughs> that was yeah. a long-winded. That was a very yeah. long-winded uh, expl- explanation to say no. We don't hear about it a lot.
1: What can you tell me about Marie? Krarup. Then I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. Who oh, is uh, um. the MP that spoke at the award ceremony? So how is she perceived in Denmark? And if you could tell us a little bit about the Danish People's Party more generally, which is uh, who she belongs to.
3: Marie Krarup. Uh, where, do I st- where do I start? Well, uh, first of all, she's the um, she's the daughter of another Danish People's Party um, representative. Uh, I don't actually. Oh, what the. What's his first name? Uh, I, soren i think i think it's yeah soren he used to be a yeah so soren so he used to be a big um member in the early years of the danish people's party um she um uh, <laughs> um she's been a member of uh parliament for as long as i can remember as a proud member of the Sumer generation, so <laughs> she has a, like, I don't know what the American-Canadian equivalent would be, but, uh, I mean, like, she she's pretty much a far-right pundit, uh, yeah, yeah, and her dad is uh, was also. What I me- remember most about her dad was that um, her dad was a really big proponent about uh, having referendums in southern Sweden and in northern Germany because those areas used to belong to Denmark, and he wanted them to return to Denmark. <laughs> um, that's 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 mostly the, how I remember him. Um, but uh, so, so, yeah, again, I, we shouldn't we shouldn't uh, judge. Um, daughters by their fathers but again uh, like i assume you have explained uh, in this um in the podcast at this point uh she she has a, a history of um bigoted views <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh regarding as uh, so to not uh, to not make this too much of a history lesson the danish people's party um it, it's actually pretty funny. In the '70s, I'm going to try to make this quick. I'm sorry. There's a lot of context uh, behind it. In the '70s, um, we we had um, I think we had uh, a public figure called uh, Mons Glistop, who was a he was pr- basically an anarcho capitalist. Which is I know that's a, um, he, 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 I know that's a bit of a stretch for now, but he was an anarcho um, capitalist who i think it was in yeah in the uh, 1973 he ran on a platform of basically abolishing every tax <laughs> and he and it, and the and the party became the second biggest party in Danish parliament and it's um yeah it, it basically it, it, it was called the landslide it's it's called the landslide election in in um in Danish uh yeah, Danish language uh, like that's what we refer to the um election as because it was such a big deal so many new parties came in it was not just them we uh yeah a bunch of other parties also came in uh, that election um uh, but then over in, in, in slowly throughout the 80s and early 90s they started losing votes because anarcho capitalism and that kind of rhetoric is uh, it, it it kind of lost its um appeal i guess and then it slowly started drifting to um it slowly started drifting to more uh, early proto right populism like uh, from from what you'd uh, you you see nowadays in europe and also in canada and america um,
1: very
3: anti-Islam, anti-immigrant. And, yeah, anti. He Mont, uh was a very early you know, anti, I think anti-Islamist. Uh, I think he, he even began with that in the 80s or so, which is. Uh, yeah. That's that's also why the Danish People's Party um like the, the to keep on track the Danish People's Party then broke uh, broke away from the the other party uh the Forward the Forward Party the name is that's not really relevant uh, they don't exist anymore practically. Uh in 1996 and then they came in with uh, as the third biggest party if I remember correctly in 1997 that election. So they've been a fairly big presence uh, for much longer than other um, far-right uh, populist parties in the West, I'd say.
1: Lastly, I was curious, skating the political parties in Denmark and how they might line up in terms of politics in Canada and America. The current party in power, I guess the Social Democrats... And they seem to be economically to the left, but hold some anti-immigrant views. And the uh, People's Party seems less economically right than, say, our American counterparts and Canadian counterparts.
3: Could you speak to that in uh, the nordic countries we uh, we have a concept and i don't i um uh, we call it social conservatism but it doesn't really mean the same as you know as what it does in, in the american context where being a social conservative means you're right-wing on social issues this is it's, it's more of a signifier I, I, I guess the equivalent would be compassionate uh, oh
1: in canada what, we have progressive conservatives in-
3: yeah progressive conservatives uh but i do think there is a bit of a difference um there still because um that that's 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 basically the economic policy that uh the danish people's party um they ascribe to but um i mean they're on everything but uh danish identity issues they are very very syncretic um they don't really have a stable platform they flip-flop around like um yeah they it's it, it's um the only thing stable about their economic policy is that they really appeal to um to uh, pensioners uh, pensioners interest because again that's who votes for them usually <laughs> um, so it's um, other than pensioner and pensioners interests they're uh, basically economic opportunists whenever wherever they can get some influence uh, they strike right now um, in Danish politics we're dealing with uh, a housing a new housing bill. I think there's some American investors have been trying to um American investors have been trying to get into the Copenh- Copenhagen housing mark- market and um because the social liberal party didn't want to, the social liberal party here usually leans left, but sometimes they also lean towards the right-wing parties and they didn't want to join in a bill to stop the this um, company to acquire all this property in Copenhagen. So the Danish People's Party, to gain influence in the left coalition, again, they struck a deal with uh, the social democrats and the other left-wing parties. Uh, and that's what sometimes happens uh, Yeah, with regards to them. Uh, like um the last few years have been weird in danish far right uh, politics uh, to say the least um like um where where, where do you even start uh, in 2015 <laughs> where you know the um the um the crisis the immigration crisis crisis was at its peak uh that was unluckily at the same time we had a danish election and because of uh, because of that uh, the danish people's party had the Best election it um, it ever had. It became the second biggest party after the Social Democrats, but they didn't. Um, they had the had they had the chance to actually form a government, but they let the Liberal Party, uh, the Liberal the Liberal Conservative Party. Um, uh, they they let them uh, start a coalition government and then they support supported it essentially because um, they didn't want to get into power because once you get into power, you actually have responsibility, yeah. which <laughs> the uh, Danish People's Party didn't like. Um, so, um, But yeah, they had a really, really good election, got 22% of the vote or such. Um, but then since then, it's just been steadily downwards because in response to the danish people's party gaining so many votes uh, basically the rest of danish politics practically all parties they moved right wing on immigration issues uh including especially the uh, social democrats um so now the social democratic uh, party has have been running like um uh, there's there's this famous infamous i'd say poster from i think it was from 2017 uh, and i was up everywhere where the leader of the uh danish uh, the leader of the danish social democratic party uh, now uh prime minister Mette and she she stood there smiling on a poster with the saying if you want to live in denmark you have to work yeah Which, um is uh i mean that's yeah, yeah, that was basically stolen out of uh, the Danish People's Party's uh, handbook. In response to um, response to the crisis of immigration, we we also saw the rise of other um, far right parties. Um, we have um, New uh what? How do you? The New Civic Party, I think their English <laughs> name is, which is not... that's. Um, it was start, it was started by former conservative um, conservative members, um, national conservative members. They call themselves, who um, wanted a party that was both far right on immigration and also on economic issues. So there are um, there there are Canadian People's Party. Essentially, it's probably the best way to describe. Yeah. <laughs> And, um, also a, a, a figure that I, uh, a figure, I don't know. I don't know if you've heard of him, uh, Rasmus Peloden, who no. had a, um, he was a provocateur who, um, became infamous, um, in Denmark for going to into ghettos and just areas, um, known for having a bunch of Muslims standing in front of mosques and stuff and burning Qurans. um, and because of that, he gained a large uh, internet following, which he, uh, together with some outrage, uh, outrage journalism from parts of right-wing uh, Danish media, could turn into um, having enough declarations to run for a Danish parliament in elections last year, where he nearly got in. Asmus yeah. uh, Paludan, for context, has been running on a literal uh, self-declared policy of ethno-nationalism, and he. Um, has, yeah. <laughs> his, his um his main uh his main slogan was they have to they they have to go home yeah uh, they they want they want to uh i think everyone i like their their policy was so hard to describe they basically didn't have a list of policies it was just him and whatever ramblings he 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 could come up with on the day but uh like, it was send everyone home that's not from Denmark, essentially. Uh, like, one of the weirdest things. Like, it, it, like it, It's hard to know if what he said he meant it seriously, yeah. because he's such a weird figure. He wanted to set up a camp for immigrants on Greenland, uh, East Greenland. Uh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you should take people seriously when they say that stuff but it's it, if if you if you if you look up interviews with this guy even if you don't understand Danish you'd understand why he's hard to take seriously yeah. um which is even, which is worrying because again, he nearly got the 2% of the vote required yeah, yeah. to um, yeah, yeah. enter Danish parliament. Also, the Danish People's Party had a disastrous election in 2019, but before people get giddy, that's because, yeah, again, the Social Democrats and the Liberal Conservative Party, uh, the two main uh, coalition governments uh, building build builders, they basically took over their platform. It's it's said in Danish politics at the moment that um. The Social Democrats, uh, the, the, both the Social Democrats and the and the uh, Liberal Conservatives have been slowly moving to the center because it's, for some reason nowadays we consider the Danish People's Party at the center of Danish Jesus. politics. Yeah. Um
1: I did see just quickly before we go. I did see some reporting suggesting that the Social Democrats have walked back some of their anti-immigrant stances. Is that reporting accurate?
3: Again, there has been some. Um, try, they have been trying to make some concessions to uh, the left-wing parties, uh, the Socialist People's Party and the Red Green Alliance, and the Social Liberals. We have so, we have so many parties here.
1: Yeah,
3: <laughs> I don't remember the name of them all. Uh, the other left-wing parties. So the, it's true that there have been some concessions uh, since the election. Uh, but uh, again, the the Overton window has shifted immensely, and that's kind of uh, the point. Um, that's also what um, what uh, and and uh, the Danish Prime Minister, keeps saying whenever immigration pops up: that the Overton window has been shifting, and that yes, yes, he has gone left in in the small scheme of things. But while the Overton window of far-right politics in Denmark has, yeah, moved, has moved considerably to the right. It's much more mainstream than it is in most other European countries.
1: Well, that's concerning, but uh, thank you for filling us in. Do you have anything to plug? Do you want people to find your your Twitter?
3: Yeah, I don't really have uh, much uh, health these days, so you can follow me on Twitter at rasmp42, R-A-S-M-P 42.
1: Well, thank you, Ross.
0: That's a Nazi move. How
1: do you come back from time travel?
2: <laughs> no, I think it would be like when you play a record backwards.
1: <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> All right. Uh, we're back. I hope you enjoyed the interview. <laughs> uh, huh. It's weird because I recorded the interview earlier. So you have this. It's going to be a weird edit for us. But was two seconds for us. It was like... 10 or 15 minutes for you. Uh, time's a social construct. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so there's nothing else to talk about the Tommy Robbins in uh, speech itself. So Ezra plays some of that. It's just bullshit talking for oh, like, Yeah. So then at the interview portion of the show, it doesn't get any better. Ezra has on Mark Milkey. Now he's only been on the show once before mm-hmm. since we've done it. And uh, it was an episode that made me very mad because Milky was the one who wrote the book The Victim Cult. And I was mad because they spent their interview the last time basically saying that Indigenous people are basically everything that has happened to them is all their fault was essentially what their argument was. So the reason why Mark is on the show this time is because Mark is a victim. Oh, poor him. He is a victim of Facebook censorship because Facebook won't let him advertise his book. Now, one of the ads had a picture of John A. McDonald and called anyone who wants to remove his statue a member of the Taliban. <laughs> <laughs> Why this would be on your ad? I don't know. But There you go. And f- so here's the part where, like, it's not that I agree with him, but Facebook flagged these for deceptive advertising. Now, here's the thing is, like, I'm pretty sure Milky's book is shitty, just like that advertisement was shitty, so I don't think the advertising is deceptive. And Ezra goes on a tirade about how selling a book is not some sort of Nigerian email scam, and, well, I don't know, selling a shitty book, is that a scam? It might be a scam. <laughs> but it gets complicated. i I like, sure. My guess is that in all likelihood, this is just an issue with Facebook's algorithm. Yeah. And in fact, as far as I can tell, his ads are back up since the, the uh, 20th.
0: Well, that doesn't
1: stop uh, Mark and Ezra to sell a book about victim cults all while crying about how conservatives get censored by a private company who's not obligated to allow them to advertise on the platform. But they're the real victims, Caitlin.
2: Oh God, Don't you forget.
1: feel for them? No, not at all. <laughs> this is the whole dynamic of someone... Uh, of how someone gets to count as an actual victim, Mark seems to think that if you read John Stuart Mill, you will realize that what Facebook is doing is anti-liberal and therefore it is bad. And worth being upset about and mobilizing people to do something about it. Because conservatives, they're the real victims, but all those other people in Mark's mind that are in a victim cult, they simply just feel justified in their anger, but they're not really justified. They aren't real victims. Which is why his book has to argue, and what he tried to argue before, is that historical oppression isn't real, right? Black people, indigenous people, sexual minorities, trans people, people on the socio-economic scale, they all just need to pull themselves up by their bootstraps and stop pretending Whoa. to be victims. Because the real victims are people who get censored by Facebook. But uh, this is really important, Caitlin. Have you uh, purchased your tickets? My tickets? Yeah, for the cruise. Oh
2: no, what cruise? I don't like boats. The Rebel
0: News Cruise. No. <laughs> so find out more and sign up quickly because the cruise is coming up in July. Get all the info at rebelnewscruise.com. So you coming? I think it's going to be fun. Have dinner with and Have lunch with oh, David. No. Hang out with me. <laughs> Let's go together. Come on, rebelnewscruise.com. That's it for today. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, good night and keep fighting for freedom.
2: Keep fighting for freedom. Thank <laughs> you. They need to have like an advertisement where it's like you're on the cruise with them. Oh, I mean,
1: it would have been so awesome if he did like the oh my <laughs> God. Come on the cuckoo cruise <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God. I heard that ad and I just started laughing. And it does not sound like fun at all. I think he said Daniel Pipes is going to be there. And, uh, where is it going out? Uh, Manny Yeah Yeah,
2: where is it going out of?
1: Ah, uh, Vancouver. Where is it? And it's a whole week with just Sheila, Kian, David. Where are they and going? The other, on a cruise. On the Rebel News cruise.
2: Why are they going though? Where's the cruise go to? These are the questions. It's just a week to relax and chill out and talk uh, about
1: how white people are being suppressed oh My God, trans we people. Go. That would be hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> oh my, I'd be sleeping with one eye open the whole time. <laughs>
2: Uh, wouldn't that be great if we just went to like one of their events and just interviewed them and like just you know i would just
1: like just, could just, we just stand like, up and just like did has anyone ever thought that maybe we're the ones who are wrong
2: <laughs> <laughs> can we just say that we have a podcast and we we would like live about with the podcast is <laughs> and interview them for our podcast yeah Cruise news, yes. Okay, let's do a cruise, guys. It rhymes. And Ezra I'm it. so clever.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: so, moving on, January
1: 21st. Ezra spends this episode with the same old, tired points about immigration in Canada. Yeah, yeah, and I don't feel like going through them all, but basically, he's arguing that most of the immigrants coming are old people who will leech off of our social services. Ugh, again. And that an influx of immigration will hurt the economy, even though all the economic outlooks, including conservative ones, predict the opposite. But Ezra is still worried about it. And the reason why Ezra is talking about this is because he's looking at Stats Canada and he sees that it shows that there's like about 300,000 new immigrants, but there's also a portion of that group who are permanent residents. And so Ezra is like, So we're actually getting more immigrants but they're permanent residents.
2: So that's why I'm really, I'm confused. It's like, yeah, that's like 60% of the population of immigrants.
1: But that's the thing is like, now I'm wondering with you saying this, whether or not he was looking at, cause here's the thing is like, I looked at the most recent stats can stuff with this and I didn't see a distinction between permanent residents and not. So I don't even know what he's like looking
2: at. But what does he mean? Like, What's the distinction between permanent residents? But this is what
1: I'm getting at. Is he just looking at like the overall number of permanent residents in this country and then making a claim? Or is he talking about people who like newly became PR, but then wouldn't they be incorporated in the immigrant statistics? Because immigrants don't immediately become citizens either. They become residents first and then...
2: Well, it depends how you're defining immigrants. Right. So different studies, like for example, my dad in certain studies would be defined as an immigrant, even though he has a citizenship. So you have to differentiate what that is yeah so because uh, like when i hear the term immigrant i just think of a person who was born yeah, here yeah, it could be a citizen had sh- that had been here for, yeah forever. they could have right. been here for years but it's like their roots were maybe in a different country then they came over and they they decided to start over again permanent residency is just a step in the process to becoming a canadian citizen
1: yeah the, then what the hell is Ezra doing here
2: the You're only idiot, thing I, Ezra. I'm not 100%, <laughs> the only thing I can't think of is like refugee status I don't know exactly but I think even those people would have to go through PR Me? as well what he's looking at is the
1: raw number of like immigrants from last year 2019 which was like 314,000 or something like that yeah But then, yeah, you're right. This like PR number, like how that fits into this is like, unless there are people who like maybe they immigrate here and maybe you don't, because I don't know enough myself, Then maybe you don't get PR status right away. No, you don't. So maybe it's like people who just newly became PR. So like maybe they were part of the immigration of the year before, but then that still would mean that like the relative number of immigrants that have come here isn't higher than what's being reported, which is what his claim is through this whole clip and yeah none of it made sense there's no sourcing so i have no fucking clue what he's talking about <laughs> which is why i mean like i this this bit has been a bit more scatterbrained or just like i don't know because that's how it was given to me uh but also like he spends most of the time talking and praising the premier of quebec which is the caq government which is also very anti-immigrant and Yeah, they're very, planning on lowering very, very, very. and there's nothing to say about that because again like Okay, you like anti-immigrant people, so good for you. Moving on from that, for the interview segment, Ezra has on someone named A.W.R. Hawkins. And this person is new for us. And he is a writer for Breitbart. And he focuses on gun issues. Ezra has Hawkins on the show to discuss the Virginia gun rally. Specifically, the claims that it was a white supremacist rally you aware of the virginia rally no i was not so basically the virginia legislature is trying to pass modest gun reforms
2: yeah and
1: because of that this huge group of second amendment people were going to hold this like huge rally i think close to twenty thousand people ended up showing up to it now as you're gonna you'll find out like through this ezra and hawkins basically nothing ended up happening so there was no like violence that occurred or whatever, but you did have close to pe- 20,000 people walking the streets with like guns out in the open. And uh, there's tons of people who reported on it like uh, Robert Evans from Behind the Bastards yeah, and showing how like there were some people like having shotguns and like cups, like it was just like, there was there was no like gun safety being used by some people and just like, it's they're lucky like <laughs> nothing happened, right? Ezra begins, he basically asks them, like, was this a white supremacist rally? And Hawkins begins by saying that the leftists, they live in an alternative reality, that they just said it was a white supremacist rally before it happened in order to bend reality. So they basically like willed that idea into existence because, what? because it wasn't a white supremacist rally. And Ezra has the evidence for why it wasn't a white supremacist rally, which is that there were brown people.
2: There. I knew it. I knew it. You were like, there was like one <laughs> black person, and therefore... Yeah.
1: Then Ezra says, not a single shot was fired, and that this means that actually being there was to be in the safest place in America. What? Not a, and the re- see, Hawkins responds to that by saying, self-preservation is innate. This is why no one does anything stupid when they are around someone with a firearm. What? And in case you don't believe me that he would say something that incredibly stupid, here it is.
0: <laughs> to the liberal mindset that ought to be like they would oh someone's going to shoot and then everyone's going to shoot the shooter and it's going to be a massive crossfire and you're going to have a massacre. Not one shot was shot. Um, right. The liberal mind would say, oh, my God, that's the most dangerous place on Earth. Conservatives probably know that's likely the safest place in America for that day. Right. You're exactly right. You know, humans, regardless of our political philosophy or political bent, we are wired by nature uh, that self-preservation is our chief goal. It just is. It's a subconscious drive. It's an involuntary drive. What? And you don't do stupid things when you know the people around you are armed. And likewise, people around you don't do stupid things when they know you're armed. Thus comes the old mantra from the Wild West, right? An armed society is a polite society.
2: (laughs) Does he not know what war is? I don't know.
1: (laughs) An armed society is a polite society. You know, all those gun massacres that occur in the United States? (laughs) That's evidence of the politeness. (laughs) What
3: the fuck is that? I
1: I could see from their logic,
2: though, they would probably say something like, well, that's because we restricted the guns, so they acted out because we restricted them, right? Like, something like that.
1: Well, on that point, Ezra then asks Hawkins about Hong Kong.
0: Well, the thing I would tell you, a lot of the gun controls that they used, that Mao used in China... A lot of the gun controls that Hitler used uh, in the roll-up to World War II, they're very similar in many ways to the gun controls we see being pushed in Virginia, which already exist in California.
1: What? That's right. We're getting the Nazi gun control argument, <laughs> which is actually so common that it has its own Wikipedia page. <laughs> really? Uh, I
2: that's the first time I've heard that. That's ridiculous to me.
1: So the one thing that he's highlighting there, that these Virginia laws are like Nazi Germany laws. So his what he then ends up saying is basically that because they have a gun, one of the laws is to pass a gun registry. Yeah. And he's worried that if you put that in the hands of the federal government, the federal government is going to come and like illegally take all your guns and stuff like this, because now they know where you live and what guns you have. Right So it's this big like conspiracy that the government is this tyrannical body that's gonna take all your guns from you. Hmm. Now when it comes to this notion that basically, so the Nazi gun control argument is basically that the Holocaust that happened would have been prevented if not for the gun control measures that the Nazi regime passed, or at least it wouldn't have been as bad or some sort of argument like this. The scholarly consensus on that is that that is not the case. (laughs) And the first problem with this argument is that most of the gun regulation was passed prior to the Nazis taking power in the Weimar regime. And in fact, the Nazis relaxed gun control measures when they took power. Mm. The second argument for why this is wrong is the weird nature of this kind of counterfactual. So the Jews in Germany lacked guns for various reasons besides gun control, namely that they were Jews and they weren't treated uh, in equal uh, ways, right? And even if we can imagine a scenario where they were in fact armed, There's no reason to think that a small percentage of the population represented by German Jews, I think they represented only 1% of the population, would have been able to effectively combat the entire Nazi regime if they had guns. Yeah. And yet, (laughs) this Nazi gun control argument has uh, emerged, and it has only emerged in the context of American gun culture. And it was put forward roughly uh, in the early 1990s, by I think uh, Jewish organizations, uh, uh, pro gun organizations in the United States, but it has since like branched out and now it's adopted by wackadoos, like a AWR Hawkins. I can't remember even what his first name is. AWR uh, is that yeah. the first name. <laughs> I don't know. Andrew Wilson Reagan Hawkins. Oh no. <laughs> I don't know if that's it. <laughs> oh, I thought you knew. What <laughs> cool that. But some fun facts about Hawkins. He actually promoted the idea that David Hogg gave a Nazi salute at the March for Our Lives rally. So I guess there was a still image of like while Hogg was mid-talking where it looked like he was giving a Nazi salute. Mm, Yeah,
2: I know what you're talking about. So he's
1: one of the ones who spread that conspiracy theory. He also argued that Dick's Sporting Goods, who were at the time throwing out this i think was in 2018 was throwing out guns that they couldn't sell or whatever and he argued that they should donate their unsold guns to the poor for (laughs) self-defense and those two nuggets were covered by right wing watch uh jared holt who has a show called shitpost so you should check that out He's pretty cool but before we end this story i want to talk about the two points made earlier which is that this was the safest place to be in america and it was not a white supremacist rally. Prior to the rally taking place, news broke that seven members of a fascist terrorist group called The Base were arrested, plotting to shoot up the Virginia gun rally and start a new civil war, or what the far right refers to as the Boogaloo. This comes from a book called The Siege, or Siege, and it's uh, it's basically like the Turner Diaries. It inspires a lot of people on the far right to commit violence, basically. Hmm. Great. One of the members who was arrested actually made big news in Canada, so it's kind of a slight on Ezra for not covering it, since the person arrested was an ex-reservist from Manitoba that had fled the country when it was uncovered that he was recruiting for the base, this fascistic terrorist group. All this came to light because the base was being infiltrated by both anti-fascist activists and law enforcement. But all this being said, this means that there was, in fact, A white supremacist group that was going to go to this rally and cause some violence so (laughs) it both was a white supremacist rally because it attracted those types and it also could have been a lot more deadlier than i think ezra is trying to lead on here as it being the safest place to be in america My guess is Ezra would do what he does in the book Shakedown, which is that whenever somebody's infiltrating a Nazi group, they're really the ones creating the Nazi group. So these people aren't Nazis in the end or or some bullshit like that. But that's nonsense, clearly. And Ezra can make that point all all that he wants. But meanwhile, an ex-reservist from Canada is now going to be spending years in prison in America. So... Yeah, pretty dark shit, but I am glad that nothing bad happened, even though I don't ideologically agree with the 20,000 people that showed up. I don't like the idea of some crazy fascist going in there to try to start a second civil war. Not that I think it actually would have caused a second civil war. I feel like there's civil war.
2: really no minorities other than the couple of brown people that Ezra said. Yeah. There's nothing for them to shoot Their at. Their
1: plan was weird. I think what they wanted to do is just cause chaos, so one of the things I think part of their plan was to set off fireworks and that would scare some of the people who would then shoot off a gun, and then there would be this like all of a sudden all these people what? are shooting, yeah, so like part of it is that that they wanted to create the chaos to sort of like bring about this like conflict very very weird people, and it's all being like released in court. there's a lot a ton more information than what I've said here that's being leaked uh and it's uh, quite frightening and uh, I'm glad these people are being arrested so
2: that's crazy yep That I thought was like really good this week. I mean, like I've already mentioned some like really great things that are going on, like the fact that um, OECTA and FO are striking. Same thing with um, Yeah, OSSTF. All these acronyms. Yeah. <laughs> I've talked about, you know, like the American Democrat election right now, and Bernie Sanders leading. We've already we've already talked about all the good things, and they just keep on going. <laughs> It's like the same good things, but they're con- they're still going. Yeah. Um, but one little small thing that I that happened this week um, that I thought was great was that, is it Colorado, I think? Colorado State just capped insulin prices. And so now insurance companies have to pay whatever is left over $100. So you pay $100 for your insulin every month, and then the insurance has to pay whatever the, yeah 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 whatever the pharmaceutical companies want and the reason for that is there's a huge hike i think it was like $4 um back in 2013 for per milliliter of insulin and now it's hiked up to like $12 and almost 50 cents and i think that was in 2016 that price and so people were spending like $200 a month on insulin and that's just insane because it's like when you're taking insulin and treating it to live. (laughs) No, it's it's absolutely crazy. And so now people are saying that they're paying like twenty to twenty five dollars a month. Just just for their insulin and um A lot of people who are against this are saying, oh, well, you didn't think of the supplies, we could run out of insulin because like now people are going to overuse and buy. But there's been stories of people. Because when
1: people die, that's how we keep our stocks replenished. My God,
2: that's the arguments I've been hearing. Um, But one person was saying that they used to actually like hoard their insulin just in case. So they weren't actually taking the proper dosages. So they could make it through next paycheck to pay for more insulin. So they would just be taking like a lower amount just to keep them going. But they still weren't feeling good because they're not taking the proper dosage of insulin they're supposed to take. But they knew if they took any more, they wouldn't be able to afford insulin. And I mean, like, I think all medication should be free. As Jody said, I haven't been feeling too great. I've had to go to several specialists that I've had to pay out of pocket, even here in Canada. For example, I'm going to go take a hearing test on Tuesday because I'm having vestibular. I have a vestibular disorder. um, And that hearing test is going to cost me $300 out of my pocket. And I've already spent over $150 on medications. I now have to spend $80 every, every, um, week on physiotherapy to help me balance and like live life normally now. And I don't think it ever really occurred to me until like these things started happening. How important even like, you know, going to the dentist, like I was just like, Oh, I
1: I need to get a cap myself and I'm covered under my wife's plan. But then It's. I'm still gonna have to pay 200 bucks out of pocket that I don't have, so I'm waiting to get a job to get a fucking cap on my.
2: No, I know it's just it's just insane, and it's like it's either you have to pay for these things out of pocket and have the money, or it's like you just gotta suffer with it. And what I have is not even deadly. Like it's just something I kind of have to like adjust to and live with, right? Other people. Other people, like if they don't get those medications or those specialists that aren't covered under like health insurance, they could die. Yeah. And that's just that's just to me, that's just horrible. And so I'm really happy that Colorado is taking the first steps to start regulating um, the sales of pharmaceuticals and insurance companies by by capping copay for how many how much people are actually paying out of their pocket for medications that you know you absolutely need to live. Do I think it's good enough? Absolutely not. We start yeah. we need to start moving towards regulating insurance companies, regulating the pharmaceutical companies. I guess more so in the states, this is an issue than Canada, but more importantly, we need Medicare for all. And that's yeah. not just in the States, it's also in Canada because a lot of our our things are not covered and this was like the NDP's platform. I mean, yep. the Green Party also mentioned it Elections as well. Um, but
1: and this, he's like the Liberals yeah. tilted towards it near the end. So I mean, this is one thing that people should be doing right now: is every once in a while remind your MPs, your Liberal MPs in particular, that you want universal pharmacare. Because they were moving towards that near the end of the election. And we know the NDP are already on board. And if you get the Liberals and the NDP together to do it, you have enough votes. Yeah,
2: I just would want to even like things like mental health professionals being covered as well. because Baby steps, Caitlin. Baby steps. Everything. (laughs) Not just pharmaceuticals. I I I want it all. I want the whole package. That is where we need to go. And I think I'm just a person you got to aim high or don't, you know, don't have that shit. health,
1: Health is important. I mean, that should be fucking obvious, but like we shouldn't have to like, I know so many people even in the Canadian context, which I don't think a lot of our American listeners understand, which is that some people do, even in Canada, put things off uh, because they can't afford it right away. And uh, that's never an easy decision to make when it comes to your health. Uh, Food on the table or medical
2: procedures. Yeah, no, it's, it's difficult.
1: So yeah, uh, I would say message your, your MP, but, but good on uh, good on Colorado. Yeah. If you enjoy what you've heard so far, please give us a few bucks over on patreon.com slash News, so Jody can get his cap on us too. <laughs> if you want to stay informed about what we're doing, you can also find us on Twitter at imperialnews Z. We have an Instagram account, News Imperial. We have a private Facebook group called Imperial News. We also have a Discord set up. You can find our link on the Twitters. Lastly, you can email us any question at imperial.fake.news at gmail.com. And as we said uh, last week, if you want to give us a local good news and thing to promote on the show, we'll do it. Email us. Also, special thanks to my friend Mason Tickle for the transition beats. You can find his work at striatam.bandcamp.com. Thank you for listening. And if you write a book about other people pretending to be victims and you complain about Facebook rejecting your advertisements, I hereby decree that you have officially given up your right to complain about anything. Good one. Hear,
0: here. Albumbia, Albumbia, how lovely are your wheat fields.